0: Morning at five
1: o'clock As the day begins Silently closing her bedroom door Leaving the note that she hoped would say more She goes down, to through the kitchen Clutching her handkerchief Quietly turning the back door key Stepping outside she is free We gave her most of our lives Sacrificed most of our lives
0: That piece of music you have just heard has a title. It's called She's Leaving Home, a Lennon-McCartney song. But here we pause for a spoiler alert. What you have just heard was performed by Stroll Down Penny Lane. And that is just what you are in for, a stroll down Penny Lane. And this is Joe Anastasi, your narrator for our exploration back through time, In fact, covering some 65 years of music, where we celebrate the life and music of Paul McCartney. Okay, let's dig in. Let's investigate this song, She's Leaving Home. The first thread in our narrative traces a sort of competition that seemed to have arisen between Paul McCartney on the one side versus Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys on the other side. And in this first thread of our narrative, we explore how this competition turned out to form one aspect of the inspiration for this song, She's Leaving Home. The second thread in our narrative then explores exactly what the lyrics in this song, She's Leaving Home, are all about. And the third thread in our narrative lays bare. (laughs) That's right, you heard me correctly lays bare the outcome of this rivalry that had arisen between Paul McCartney and Brian Wilson, leading to an unfortunate series of events.
1: Look away, look away, look away, look away.
0: So let's start at the very beginning with the first thread of our narrative. We'll need the services of our little time machine to go back in time in order to witness the origin of this song, She's Leaving Home. We just press this button, and off we go. We have landed in Los Angeles. It is December of 1965, and the Beatles have just released, to critical acclaim, their new album, Rubber Soul.
1: Your lines engage I have had enough So I your age We have lost the time That was so
2: Hey Joe, hey Joe, seems you got the wrong year and the wrong Beatles album. She's Leaving Home is not on Rubber Soul and was not released in 1965.
0: That, dear listener, would be my producer TBM on the talkback mic. So we can just address him as talkback Mike. TBM, indulge me. Everything will be explained. He drives! So far, we know that the Beatles had just released this album, Rubber Soul. And notwithstanding what Talkback Mike has just said, we do have the correct year as this album was released in December of 1965. But why, you might ask, has our little time machine taken us to Los Angeles? Yeah. Yeah! And what, you might ask, Is the connection to the Beatles' new album, Rubber Soul? Double yeah! Well, the answer is our little time machine has taken us here because the members of the Beach Boys were based in Los Angeles. And it is here in December 1965 in Los Angeles where the Beach Boys had just convened a meeting. Well, it was more than just a meeting. In the words of biographer Philip Norman, it was a spontaneous prayer meeting that the Beach Boys had convened to ask the Almighty's help in making an album even half as good as what the members of the Beach Boys had just heard from the Beatles.
2: Yo, Joe, that stroll down a Gregorian chant there, it roughly translates to Lord help us create sounds that are better than the Beatles Rubber Soul.
0: Now, who would have thought our music producer tbm would be conversant in latin just saying got it now back to my story and so it was on what was on the competition was on between the beach boys and the beatles in fact brian wilson of the beach boys has said this quote i had heard the album rubber soul by the beatles it was definitely a challenge for me i saw that every cut was very artistically interesting and stimulating. I immediately went to work on the songs for Pet Sounds. Unquote. And so it was this one thing, listening to the Beatles album Rubber Soul, that provided for Brian Wilson the stimulus.
2: Ah, uh, hey, Joe, don't you think there may have been other things that might have provided the, as you put it, stimulus?
0: That TBM may be so. But I am talking about the stimulus that caused the harmonic genius of Brian Wilson to take full flight like just here.
1: To you, if you should ever
0: leave me. And TBM, as a matter of fact, to your question, to me, about my use of the word stimulus, we know that when Brian Wilson first listened to the Beatles' Rubber Soul album, he was under the influence of marijuana. Brian Wilson did say this publicly. But setting this aside, the important thing that Brian Wilson recalled from this listening session was that he was so blown away with what he was hearing that he felt immediately compelled to somehow attempt to match the standard that the Beatles had now established. And with this feeling on his part, or compulsion I might say, Brian Wilson was impelled to head over to his piano and he began writing God only knows right there and then. So here we have Brian Wilson going, as he said, over to the piano to immediately set to work on his new album. And this specifically because of having just heard the Beatles album Rubber Soul. So this is the commencement of the hurling of pop music thunderbolts from one side of the Atlantic Ocean to the other by two giants in the industry. Paul McCartney, as we will see on the one hand, and Brian Wilson on the other. So let's observe what happens next as these events are beginning to be etched in pop music history for posterity. And to do this, we now turn to Paul McCartney and the Beatles and their reaction as the ball bounced into their court, mixing my metaphors as we go. To learn how Paul McCartney and the Beatles, in turn, were affected upon hearing the new recording that had been devised by Brian Wilson in the Beach Boys' new album, Pet Sounds, the album containing this song, God Only Knows. Paul McCartney has been quoted several times saying that Brian Wilson's God Only Knows served as the main inspiration for Paul to set out to write this song. Ooh, Julie. rewind the tape, so to speak, to enable us to go back to review some of the events that have just been described. And if we do this, it is possible for us to take a moment to discern the big picture. With these events, we will observe that the two pop music industry giants have begun to hurl thunderbolts at each other across the Atlantic Ocean. We will see that this is occurring by dint of the competitive efforts between the Beatles and Brian Wilson. And all of this is happening during this time frame, that is, during the years 1965 and 1966. And by the end of our story, we will see that the last of the lobbing of these Thunderbolts will occur, sadly, in 1967. Look away, look away. But what is it that is happening? What is this competitive volley, this back and forth exchange of Thunderbolts? What is this all about? Stay with us. We'll be right back. We're back now. Let's get back into this competitive volley, this back-and-forth exchange of pop music, thunderbolts. Look away, look away. But what is it that is happening? What is this competitive volley, this back-and-forth exchange of thunderbolts? What is this all about? The answer is the Beatles create the album Rubber Soul. And upon first hearing this, Brian Wilson is floored. He's stunned, really, and Brian Wilson, as a consequence of this, is inspired to create something in return. And then, in response to what Brian Wilson has created with his song, God Only Knows, Paul McCartney is motivated to create the song Here, There, and Everywhere. And with this, He lobs this thunderbolt back across the Atlantic Ocean. And as we will see, as we continue to explore this rivalry, as it continues to unfold, this grand hurling of pop music thunderbolts across the Atlantic Ocean will finally cease in 1967. Let's dig in a little. First up for our review is this. Rolling Stone magazine has documented something of interest here something that is relevant to our analysis for in its review of the 100 greatest Beatles songs Rolling Stone magazine observed that the chord progressions in this song of Paul's here there and everywhere bore a resemblance to Brian Wilson's songwriting. And there are several other points of interest we can observe about these pop music volleys, these competitive exchanges between Brian Wilson and Paul McCartney. For example, when we examine one of these exchanges, we can see that quite a few other musicologists, rightly or wrongly, have specifically noted that Paul's song, Here, There, and Everywhere, ambled through three musical key signatures, quote, without ever fully settling into one.
2: Joe, let me address this for a moment because you have stumbled upon something of interest here with those words rightly or wrongly. Okay, first you could say it is uncommon for a pop song to amble through different key centers. Unique harmony has always been sought out by many pop songwriters to try to present fresh sounds and set their songs apart from others. But the assertion from the previously referenced musicologists that Paul's song Here, There, and Everywhere ambled through three key signatures without ever fully settling into one, I believe is highly debatable. The song Here, There, and Everywhere does settle into specific key centers. We'll demonstrate, in this case, the key of G. Joe, please honk the old horn where this part of the song settles into the key of G major. But
1: to love her is to need her
0: everywhere, knowing that love is to share. Right. Thank you, TBM. So with that clarification, the essential point we are left with is that the songwriting approach of Paul McCartney ambling through different key signatures in his song, Here, There, and Everywhere, was distinctive, at least for pop music in 1966. But let's turn our examination to this point of similarity that arose between these songwriting volleys or exchanges that were occurring between Paul McCartney and Brian Wilson. For here, we find a relevant observation about a song during this exact time frame, also ambling between different keys. And we can find the evidence of this explicitly in Brian Wilson's song, God Only Knows, which similarly ambles between two different key centers without ever really settling on one. And we don't need to take the word of an academic or musicologist for the truth of this assertion, for we can find where Brian Wilson even admitted to this specific fact in 2008 about his song, God Only Knows. And this is a quote. It's not really in any one key, he said. It's a strange song, that's just the way it was written. It's the only song I've ever written that's not in a definite key. And I've written hundreds of songs. Unquote. Now, there is another piece of evidence that is of interest to our discussion today. And this piece of evidence was also provided by Brian Wilson. We can find it in his memoir, which was published in 2016. Quote, I liked all those old songs that used rounds like Row, Row, Row Your Boat and Frere Jacques. I liked rounds because they made it seem like a song was something eternal. So let's examine this piece of evidentiary matter. For George Martin also has described how he and the Beatles, for that matter, had taken note of how Brian Wilson would write a lyric where two or three Human voices would answer and weave around one another. And this is exactly what we find in Brian Wilson's song God Only Knows. God only
1: knows what I'd be with.
0: Let's not leave George Martin just yet, for George Martin has also documented another bit of evidence that we can discern in these creative volleys going back and forth between Brian Wilson and the Beatles. For George Martin, in his memoir about the making of Sgt. Pepper, observed how the contrapuntal writing style found in Brian's song, God only knows, which we have just heard, led to a famous contrapuntal trial experiment between Paul and John. And George Martin has described this as, quote, a two part contrapuntal piece. The two human voices, John's and Paul's, interweave and complement one another, unquote. So the question is, you might ask, what was it that George Martin was referring to here? The answer is, that George Martin was describing how the voices of Paul and John would answer one another like just here she,
1: We give her most of most of our lives.
0: course, that's the refrain from the song, She's Leaving Home, from the Abbey Road album. But let's examine how Paul McCartney, through the uncommon lens of John Lennon, would take George Martin's contrapuntal notion in an entirely different direction. And by this, I mean that the two of them, Paul and John, together would craft a lyric like George Martin described, where two human voices would answer and weave around one another. But this time, through the uncommon lens of John Lennon, an important difference is created. And this difference would be that the two human voices would take on and present two entirely different points of view, that is, of two different human beings. And they Paul and John would accomplish this in the telling of the story that we find in the lyrics to this song, with Paul expressing the point of view of a teenager, a daughter, a young woman, and John Lennon expressing the point of view of a parent who is not understanding, not understanding at all. And so with this, we find a touchstone of similarity in the songwriting of the Beatles and of Brian Wilson, for even as they were being inspired by each other, Paul McCartney and John Lennon in this instance, and Brian Wilson in the other, these songwriters were creating something fresh sounding for pop music and for each other. But now, let's turn to the recording process for this portion of this song, She's Leaving Home, for here we will find other evidentiary matter of interest. As I mentioned earlier, George Martin had definitely observed the reaction of the Beatles to this new album from Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. George Martin described something akin to a curious transatlantic slugfest that had arisen, a competition of sorts involving songwriting skills and genius-inflected recording processes. Here, we can find this evidence in George Martin's book describing the making of Sgt. Pepper's. Quote, The Beatles thought Pet Sounds, its vocal harmonies in particular, was a fantastic album. I thought it was great, too. Could we do as well as that, they asked me, in the run-up to their own new LP? No, I replied. We can do better. Unquote. Now we know that Paul wrote his song here, there, and everywhere because of the inspiration brought by Brian Wilson's song, God Only Knows. But in this last quote from George Martin, he refers to the effect on Paul and John, specifically in terms of, quote, the run-up to the Beatles' new LP, Unquote. Here, George Martin is referring to the songs that were being written and recorded for the next album the Beatles would create, an album that eventually became titled *Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band.
2: Joe, don't those lyrics go, it was 20 years ago today, not 30 years ago today?
0: I got carried away. But now, let's use the services of our little time machine to discover the process of the recording of a portion of this particular song. We have landed in London. It is March 20th, 1967, and we find ourselves at the Abbey Road Studios. It is nighttime, and John Lennon and Paul McCartney have just arrived. They are here to overdub their vocals for the song, She's Leaving Home. Now, Paul had been keen to prepare a string arrangement for the song, and four days earlier, he had called George Martin on the telephone to ask George to come around the next day to work up the needed string arrangement. But George Martin had to decline. He told Paul that he had committed to another recording session for the next day. Paul was fired up, though, and he wanted to strike while the iron was hot. So Paul asked George to cancel his commitment. Again, George Martin declined. He felt he couldn't do that. After hanging up the phone, Paul then asked the Beatles road manager, Neil Aspinall, to arrange for someone else to score the string arrangement for this new song. Accordingly, then, Neil Aspinall had gone ahead and contacted string composer Mike Leander to create the score for the song, which Mike Leander then immediately completed. Three days later, Mike Leander's string arrangement for four violins, two violas, two cellos, an upright bass, and harp was recorded at the Abbey Road Studio, with George Martin present as the producer for this recording session. With all of this having transpired this way, George Martin's feelings were now hurt because of all of the songs he had ever produced and arranged for the Beatles. For George Martin, for the rest of his life, this song, She's Leaving Home, was the song that got away. But now, it is the next evening in the same Abbey Road recording studio, and it is time for Paul and John Lennon to overdub their vocals for the song. We can see that Jeff Emmerich, the recording engineer, has just finished directing the recording setup in the studio. Paul had asked that the lyrics in the refrain for this song, which were to be sung by both Paul and John, be double-tracked. To do this, John and Paul would double their vocal lines in this section of the song by singing a second performance against their first take. Hence, their voices would be doubled. Jeff Emmerich, Readily assented to this, knowing that no matter how closely both Paul and John attempted to match their second take to their first take, each line they sang would have subtle phrasing differences, even up to 50 milliseconds or more. But Jeff Emmerich was stumped because while this double tracking of voices was supposed to transpire in this manner, Paul also wanted the string arrangement that had been recorded earlier in the week. To remain in stereo, Jeff Emmerich concluded that this would require that Paul and John record their vocals at the same time, and this explains why we can now see Paul with his headphones on, sitting on a high stool facing John, who is sitting on another high stool. We can see that John also has his headphone on, but only over one ear. The oddity of this session is that we can also see that the two of them are pretty much sitting in the dark and this is because paul had another inspirational idea he has asked that the lights in the recording studio be turned off to set the mood and so with this we can see that the only illumination in the studio where paul and john are sitting is provided by a table lamp against the near wall and the setup works This little scene with Paul and John in Studio 2 at Abbey Road, with the two of them facing each other as they sit on stools recording the vocals to this song, neatly provides a wrapping up of the first thread in our narrative. For just as we hear this part of the song where two voices answer and weave around each other, we arrive at the outset of the second thread of our narrative, which is An exploration of the backstory to this song, She's Leaving Home, and specifically what the lyrics in this song are all about. But here, we will break from this story. We will resume the telling of this tale in Episode 10, She's Leaving Home, Origins of a Masterpiece, Part (laughs) 2. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast of Stroll Down Penny Lane. Please join us again next time as we explore further the life and music of Paul McCartney. And come see us at one of our shows if you are in the neighborhood. You'll find us at StrollDownPennyLane.com slash podcast or with your favorite podcast app. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network.